We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the Highlight Factory Studios to celebrate a victory edition of the podcast as the Atlanta Hawks have pulled off yet another playoff upset. And as a Hawks fan, this honestly feels a little bit too good to be true. Um, I had one of my good friends who's a season ticket holder tell me the other day he's just kind of pinching himself because he can't believe it's true. But the Atlanta Hawks defeated the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 7 on the road in Philadelphia on Sunday night, turning in one of the most un-Atlanta performances we've seen in recent memory, as the Hawks, who started this season 14-20, and fired our head coach, have since gone 35-15, and including 8-4 and in the playoffs, and 5-2 and on the road in the playoffs. And I have to say that this is one of the most un-Atlanta postseason performances of any Georgia sports team I can remember. So if you're new to the podcast, before we jump into things, please go ahead and subscribe on your podcasting platform. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So we're celebrating a Hawks victory as they move on to the conference finals to face the Milwaukee Bucks, coached by the last head coach to take the Hawks to the conference finals, which is none other than Mike Budenhoser himself. Budenhoser, of course, was the coach of the 60-win Hawks team that made it to the conference finals in 2015 and was swept by LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers. The Hawks' victory on Sunday takes them to the second conference finals in franchise history. And this is crazy, y'all. This is actually the first Game 7 victory in the history of the Hawks franchise. Let that sink in for a second. So, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because you have to remember that the first round of the playoffs for many, many years was only five games. And the Hawks have only been out of the second round once, so it makes sense that they would have never won a Game 7 because they would have made it out of the second round had they won a Game 7. So this is only the second trip to the conference finals and playoff history for the Hawks. And they've got a very, very, very difficult matchup in the Milwaukee Bucks, which we'll get to later. But first of all, we got to rewind here and talk about Philly pulling one of the most Atlanta moves possible and losing in the second round as a one seed with a relatively healthy roster and their best player playing absolutely dominant basketball in Joel Embiid. And I'll be honest with y'all, when you go back and look at the stats, this is a series the Hawks should have lost. So over the course of the series, Philadelphia outscored them by 20 points total, 775 to 755. The Sixers shot a higher percent from the field, 48% 48% to 44%. The Sixers outshot the Hawks from three, 40.5% to 33.5%. And the Sixers out-rebounded the Hawks by an average of two per game, 44 to 42. Now, if you follow the series closely, you know that there were two key factors that the Hawks won, and that was the turnover battle and the free throw battle. And both were especially key because the turnover differential was actually the deciding factor in every one of the Hawks' victories. The big reason for that being the number of shots the Hawks took, as the Hawks took more shots than Philly in all four of their wins, with the biggest margin being a plus 16 in shots taken during the game four comeback that honestly saved the series, a game in which Philadelphia probably should have gone up 3-1 and would have made it very, very difficult on the Hawks to come back. And when you're in Philadelphia, the blame for this squarely falls on two people. One is Doc Rivers, not for his coaching over the entire series, 
but simply for the fact that he pissed away game one with an absolutely awful plan for defending Trey Young. It was like he didn't even watch the New York series or the last five games Philly played against Atlanta. After games one and two, Doc made good adjustments to defending Trey, causing his efficiency to really nosedive throughout the rest of the series. Trey finished the series averaging 29 points per game and 10 assists per game, but he shot just 39% from the field and just 31% from three. So they really were able to reel him in after that 35-point explosion in game one. And having Matisse Tybel and Ben Simmons as the primary defenders on Trey as opposed to Danny Green made life about as difficult for Trey as anyone has made it this season. One of the strengths of Simmons, in addition to his length, being that he is excellent at navigating screens. So when the Hawks wanted to run their high pick and roll with their double drag set where they set two high screens at the three-point line, Simmons was able to just slither through with the first screen and either trap Trey or prevent a switch that Trey couldn't get matched up on a big. So they made life really hard on him. But speaking of Ben Simmons, he is the one that receives the rest of the blame for the Sixers after shooting 34% of the free throw line and only taking three shots in the fourth quarter of the entire series. That's seven games, folks. And now everybody's taking their time to dunk on Ben Simmons. Uh, You can go listen to ESPN or Fox Network for that. This is a Hawks show and an Atlanta sports podcast, so we're not going to do that. All I will say that it's it's hard to remember ever seeing a player as talented as Ben Simmons get the yips to the point where he won't even dunk the ball in the fourth quarter. And he's only 24, so he's got plenty of time to figure it out. But he's essentially the exact same player as he was when he came out of LSU four or five years ago. And you have to wonder whether he has the work ethic or desire to actually improve his shot. And if not... I think that his flaws have been so blatantly exposed that his value around the league is really taking a hit. He's being absolutely filleted by the media right now. And truthfully, Simmons' free throw shooting was a huge factor in this series as the Philadelphia 76ers shot 67% from the line in the series, while the Hawks shot 78% from the line. Considering that all of the Hawks' victories were closely contested games, free throw shooting was an enormous factor that could have easily turned one or two of these games in the Sixers' direction. So it was a big deal, and Ben Simmons' inability and lack of desire to shoot the ball in key moments was a huge factor in that series. So with Philly behind us, I have to point this out. One of the things that's been very, very evident in these first two playoff series is the mental toughness of Trey Young and this team. You saw New York and some of their fake tough guys really try to rough Trey up, play extra physical at John, cheap fouls by Julius Randle, all that nonsense. And I think what we've seen is that none of this bothers Trey. And as is often the case where teams will take on the identity of their superstar, none of this is bothering the Hawks either. I mean, Joel Embiid getting in John Collins' face, his response, he trolls Joel Embiid at the press conference after Game 7 by putting on a shirt of him dunking on Joel Embiid in the previous game. And if you haven't seen it, it's one of the most glorious troll moments that you will ever see from an Atlanta athlete. It's it's brilliant. And it just goes to show that all the fake tough guy stuff, Embiid trying to pump John Collins by hitting him in the face and all the other nonsense that was going on, doesn't matter to the Hawks. Trey Young is built for the moment, and the team has taken on a lot of his personality in that they just don't care, and they believe they belong there, and they are adopting the underdog mentality of we're going to keep playing and keep winning 
and we don't care if you like it. And so I have to point out that I think that the Hawks, truthfully, are one of the two most mentally tough teams in this playoff, along with the Phoenix Suns, who, again, are led by one of the most mentally tough players in the NBA and Chris Paul. And they have battled through injuries and adversity. They have not cared who they played. They pulled off the huge first-round upset of the Lakers, and they just kept going. And again, I think this is a part of Trey's game that is really underrated. And one of the parts of the game that is absolutely equal to Luka Doncic's. He has extreme confidence that leads him to play with extreme physical toughness and extreme emotional toughness. Trey getting banged around, beaten up, and it was just clear he doesn't care. He's here to ball, and nothing you can do can take him out of his game. And he's going to need every bit of that mentality against the Milwaukee Bucks, who are really a tough, tough matchup for our Atlanta Hawks. And the Hawks... And the real difficult task for the Hawks is going to be scoring the ball in Milwaukee, as Philadelphia being just a great, great defensive team posed a lot of problems because they had good defensive personnel. But the difference between Milwaukee and Philadelphia is that Philadelphia had three All-NBA defenders, but they could never play all three of them together. Ben Simmons could not play alongside Matisse Thibel and Joel Embiid because Thibel can't shoot, and we know Ben Simmons can't shoot, so you just had no floor space when the two of them are on the floor together. So they typically took turns alternating between who was guarding Trey. With Milwaukee, they're going to start a starting unit of Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker, Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. So that's three current or former All-NBA defenders in Lopez, Giannis, and Holiday. And yes, Brooke Lopez was an All-NBA defender last year, and he's actually very, very good at playing drop coverages and protecting the rim. And in addition to Lopez, Giannis, and Holiday, you have two plus defenders that have gotten votes for All-NBA, and Middleton and Tucker. So the Nets are going to have four defenders that can switch on a tray plus two rim protectors. And in short, it's going to be really, really hard to score in the paint on Milwaukee. So if the Hawks' three-point shooting doesn't improve, you can get another one of those 86-83 brick fests like you saw Milwaukee play against the Nets in round two. And Milwaukee, who was actually a below average defense during the regular season, I think they were like 22nd, which is a huge drop-off where they led the league by miles again in defensive rating the last couple of years, there was a big drop-up, mostly because of a lot of people being hurt in and out of the lineup. Giannis missed some time. Drew Holiday missed some time. But when they are all healthy and on the court together, and with the addition of P.J. Tucker, their defensive rating of 103.1 was the best in the playoffs by four full points, which is huge. Second-best team being Phoenix at a 107. And... Listen to our Atlanta Hawks coming in fourth in playoff defensive rating at a 108.6. So, again, going into this series against Milwaukee, it is going to be very, very hard to score. And, again, this is a team that the Hawks have been just 1-5 against in the last two seasons. Now, I do think the one advantage that the Hawks might have is in, the de- is, is in bench depth. Coach Bud seems to have finally figured out that you have to actually shorten your rotation in the postseason and play your better players for more minutes. He has finally figured that out. And so his rotation is essentially Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton, and Bobby Portis. Those are the only guys that get 10 or more minutes a game. And by comparison, the Hawks will have Gallinari, Okongwu, who was actually really, really good in the last three games of that series against Philadelphia, and Lou Williams. But the Hawks also have the potential to dust off Tony Snell, Solomon Hill, Chris Dunn, and even Cam Reddish if he's greenlit to return. So... The Hawks were really short in wing scoring in this series. When Herter 
or Gallo had an off night. They really just couldn't put the ball in the hoop. Bogdanovich was good for most of the series until he tweaked his knee, but when Herter and Gallo had an off night, there was nowhere to turn because Solomon Hill doesn't give you anything on offense in the playoffs. And Snell and Snell hasn't been the same since his injury late in the year. So you were really missing that one other guy off the bench that can come and knock down shots, whether that be Cam Reddish or, of course, DeAndre Hunter. We've got to get one more wing that can come in and hit a couple threes or create his own shot. And so if by some miracle Cam Reddish can return, that would be a huge asset for his ability to create his own shot and knock down open jump shots, and you're not losing a lot of the defensive end. So, And the ability to knock down perimeter shots is going to be so important because the way Milwaukee plays is they're going to pack the paint and allow you to take low percentage three-point shots, and you have to make them pay by knocking them down. Now, similar to the New York and Philadelphia series, the Hawks season series against Milwaukee doesn't tell you a ton about how this playoff series is going to go. When they played on the 24th of January, the Hawks lost 115-129. to 129, But Trey didn't play, Capella didn't trade, and Bogey didn't play. And this is going to make you sick, but DeAndre Hunter had 33 points. And John Collins dropped in another 30. So then they play again on April 15th. This was an L for the Hawks by a 109-120 margin. Again, no DeAndre Hunter in this game. No Reddish, no Gallo, and no John Collins. And Bogey hits him with 28 points with the Bucks having everybody healthy except for Dante DiVincenzo, who they are also missing from their ring rotation for the playoffs. And DiVincenzo is a good player in their system because he's an athletic wing that can defend and knock down some open shots. And so he overlaps, honestly, a lot with Pat Connaughton. They're very similar players. But, you know, with the Bucks having DiVincenzo out, now they have one option there instead of two, kind of like with the Hawks having Reddish and Hunter out. They're having to start Kevin Herter, and that gives them – not very many great wing options off the bench past Gallinari. In the last game of the season, the Hawks actually did pull out a 111-104 win on April 25th. And the Hawks played that game with no Trey, no Hunter, no Reddish, no Snell. And Bogey dropped another 32. But the Bucks were missing P.J. Tucker. And um, Giannis did also contribute 31 points in that game. And that was a 111-104 victory. So looking at some of the trends from the games they did play, the Hawks averaged 13 threes a game at 38%. So the Hawks shot three ball well against the Bucks. Really, Bogdanovich and Hunter doing a lot of the damage. And with Bogey looking just so shaky on that busted knee the other night, if he's not at full strength, not only will the Hawks lose, but they could get embarrassed in some of these games. Because you need his ability to knock down open shots to give you any chance, any chance of, of scoring enough points to keep up with this. Because people don't realize this, but when you play the Bucks, you're playing the NBA's highest scoring team in the regular season. That's, that's not a typo. The Bucks averaged 120 points a game this season. Which is just crazy. And that trend is not continued in the playoffs. As, as a matter of fact, the Bucks have an offensive rating of just 109.9, which is like fourth or fifth in the playoffs. Uh, the Hawks are right behind them at 109. But unlike the Bucks, the Hawks put two of the NBA's best defensive teams in the first round of the playoffs. So their struggles are understood, at least. The Bucks played a Heat team that were banged up and weren't playing great going into the playoffs and did not play great in the playoffs. And then played a... Nets team that was completely shorthanded, had zero rim protection, no elite perimeter defenders, and still struggled to score the ball against them. Essentially, if Chris Middleton's not hitting contested jump shots and Giannis isn't dunking, they have nothing on the offensive end of the floor. They just don't. And so while the Hawks don't have a great matchup for Giannis, you have to hope that we can continue to guard Drew Holiday well and give him some of the same problems that we saw in that series where Holiday just did not shoot the ball well against the Nets. I mean, 
awful, awful splits for him. And Middleton was very, very hot and cold. When he was on, it was 38, 35. But when he wasn't, it was 8 of 21, 19 points. And so the Hawks don't have as many great options to defend him because beyond Kevin Herter, you don't have any long wings that can really match up with him, which is an area of concern for me. All in all, I think that this matchup is going to come down to the Hawks' ability to knock down the three-point shot and slow down Chris Middleton. If Middleton loses the matchup between Kevin Herter and Bogdanovich, the Hawks have a real shot to win this series. Giannis is going to get what he gets, and he's going to be able to limit the production of John Collins because he's a horrible matchup for Collins. Collins in that, and by the way, I know you're just saying, but that you just said that he had a 30-point game. In that 30-point game, John Collins went 6 of 9 for 3, which is something you're probably not going to get from him a whole lot. So Giannis is just a really difficult matchup for John Collins, the defensive end of the floor. Trey's got a really tough matchup in Drew Holiday. As Holiday is a big guard at 6'3", over 200 pounds, that can get up into Trey with pressure and physicality, and that can actually stay in front of Trey. That's a really tough matchup for Trey. And, again, if Trey's three-point shot is not falling and he can't get them to expand their coverages on pick and roll, it's going to be really hard because they protect the rim against lobs and they allow you to shoot contested threes by the guys you don't want shooting. And if we're not making those shots, I just don't know if we can score enough to win. If the Hawks get anything out of their wings, this might be another series that the Hawks can steal. And after getting Julius Randle's superstar status revoked, getting Ben Simmons more or less run out of Philly, maybe we can finish off the job by getting Coach Bud fired from the Bucks as we waltz our way to a surprise NBA Finals appearance. But please let us know what you think. This has already been the best playoff season of Atlanta Hawks basketball during my lifetime. And I know the 2015 season we made it to the conference finals, but that entire playoff was weird with all the injuries, Paul Millsap playing hurt and not being good in the playoffs, Kyle Korver getting hurt, knowing you had LeBron facing you. But I'm telling you, if ever there was a year the Hawks were going to steal a finals appearance with no LeBron in the way, Brooklyn out of the way, this is the year. So I'm going to continue to believe in this team and continue to believe in our ability to upset a team in the Milwaukee Bucks that has not performed in the playoffs at a high level. And who knows, could this be a year where our Atlanta team steals an NBA championship? That's crazy to even say as I say that. This has been David Thay with the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.